from the NFL. We know the Browns have talent, but I'm not sold on this rookie head coach. To the NBA. Kawhi Leonard has added his name as one of the best players in basketball. Across the landscape of college football. The Pac-12 got how many teams in the top 25? And so much more. Boxing needs a Dana White. It has too many chefs in the kitchen. The stories you want. The Zeke Elliott holdout could be coming to a close. The opinions you need. LeBron is coming back with revenge on his mind. The king is back. It's Jay Wise. I keep telling y'all my last name is no joke. And Nathan Drinkard. If they don't win this game, it's a wrap. Stick a fork in them. They're done. This is a drink of wisdom. Welcome to a drink of wisdom with Jay Wise and Nathan Drinkard. I'm your host, Cody Ward. Thank you for spending some of your time with us this morning. What's going on, fellas? What's up, big time? Yeah, buddy, you know, and it's a luxury Saturday morning. Let's roll, baby. Oh, man, it's a special edition this morning. In episode 31, the Mavs win again without Luka. We have a new Basketball Hall of Fame nominees, and the guys tell you which Week 16 NFL games matter the most. But first, we're going to start in the NBA and look back on Thursday night's Lakers-Bucks game. The Milwaukee Bucks topped the Lakers at home to move to 25-4 and on the season. Reigning MVP Giannis Antetokounmpo finished with 34 points and 11 rebounds, getting help from the rest of the starting five and 21 points off the bench from George Hill. The Bucks jumped out to an early lead and held it for most of the game, despite 36 from Anthony Davis and a triple-double from LeBron James for the Lakers. The win gives the Bucks the best record in the NBA just two days after the Mavs snapped their 18-game winning streak. So, Drink, did this prove the Bucks are the best team in the NBA? Uh, I will pump the brakes on the best team in the NBA, but I, I will tell you this. This does prove that the Bucks are as elite as the two teams that we uh, picked over in the Western Conference, the two L.A. teams. Um, and I will say this. After this weekend, how it did change a little formula of the setup for both conferences. So, you got the two L.A. teams, and then you got Milwaukee. They're in one tier. And then you go down, you got the Houstons, you got the Dallas, you got the Bostons, you got the 76ers. You got those teams in the second tier of their respective conferences. That's what I did notice. And I tell you what, man, hey, Milwaukee put everybody on notice because the, the craziest thing about that Lakers and Bucks game that everybody's talking about, and rightfully so, is the fact that Giannis shot 45% from the three. That is what we wanted to see, and that's what he showed. But let's be real here. That, let's be real. Let's, let's pump the brakes here. This game was probably 275th on LeBron James' most important games here list. All right? He wasn't studying this game. You're talking about a Thursday game in Milwaukee. All right? Thursday game in Milwaukee. Say what you want. LeBron James has been there and done that. This game, he didn't break no sweat. This game meant more for the Bucks than it did the Lakers. Say what you will, but the Bucks wanted to come out and show everybody that they can hang on the level with the elite Western Conference. Well, we ain't got to worry about elite Eastern Conference because they are the elite Eastern Conference. So they wanted to show that they can hang on the top with the, the, the West, and they did that. Um, I was incredibly um, satisfied with what I seen at the Bucks. The Lakers left to some stuff to be desired with the way they started the game. Um, I'm pretty sure I wasn't by myself when I thought that this game was going to be a young smoke check with the way the Bucks came out in the first half. Uh, I thought with the Lakers being the oldest team in the NBA, they was going to close it down at the halftime. 
I just knew I was going to see a bunch of guys that I didn't even know was on the team in the second half. But let's be real. The Lakers came out and they showed me something. They showed some heart. Anthony Davis, he played the whole entire fourth quarter on one leg. They showed me something. Because they could have shut it down. Because when the Bucks did this to the Clippers, what did the Clippers do? They shut it down. They were like, hey, we out. You know what I'm saying? Y'all take the dub. We out. So they came back and they um they came back and fought. They made it a game in the fourth quarter. Now, one thing <clears throat> one thing I did notice that was lacking is for all the, the noise you hear about the Lakers defense, oh, top five defense, one of the best defense in the league. Well, yeah, you're absolutely right when you're talking about going to the rim. They, they, they protect the rim. Top blocking team in the NBA. But that perimeter defense left something to be desired. It really did. They was out here jacking up. I mean, specifically, one time, this is what gave me, like, what made me pay attention and say, God, this this perimeter defense. Chris Middleton, and, and me and Jay was talking about this, Chris Middleton is probably the fourth best player in this game. And it was like a one-on-four break. Chris Middleton being the one, Lakers having the four. And he pulls up. I'm talking, he crossed the half-court line, took two steps, pulls up, drops it, wham, and did not think two seconds about it. I'm thinking in my head, like, how disrespectful is that? This ain't Giannis. This Chris Middleton. He's like, oh, man, he started his team, but I'm going to go out here and drop it. That told, in my mind, that told me the confidence levels of the Bucks was as such. Look, man, this team old. We're going to outrun them. We ain't worried about this. LeBron James ain't chasing nobody down. He might blow a groin out trying to get to me. They, AD, he on one leg. He out here looking like Captain Hook. You know, right? He holding on to his ribs. He already hurt. You just never know what you're going to get from this guy because he stay banged up. So, and then JaVale McGee, let's be real here. JaVale McGee probably, he committed a foul from the bench. So, they knew if they got this team running and gunning, with this being the oldest team in the NBA, they knew what time it was. Now, like I said, this was the last game of a um, long road trip, Eastern Conference road trip, I might add. And for the most part, people expect the Lakers to come out here a little lethargic. Um, I didn't expect them to go on a two-game losing streak, but they did. People thought it was going to be slow and – and it was. But like I said, they came back and they fought. Um, look, man, shots out to Giannis, man. Look, it's nothing up. Look, I done beat the man up on shooting his, his jump shot, but that was impressive. Hey, <laughs> y'all just said, if you leave me open, I'm dropping it, baby. You best believe it. And then and then he did the little crop. Did y'all see that? He did the little crop. I see you, Giannis. I see you, baby. See, I... Look, the difference between Giannis and Embiid is this. Giannis was celebrating when he was actually out there putting his foot in somebody. Where Embiid be out here, like, not even doing nothing and celebrating WWE moves and eating Chick-fil-A before the games. Like, that's the difference. Like, when you're doing, when you're winning, and not only are you winning, but you're the best player and you're putting your team on your shoulders, I might add. And you're performing. I don't. I don't care if you can't hitting cartwheels on the on the court. I don't give a rip. You deserve to do whatever. 
you out here playing the best team in the NBA, or what the, most people consider the best team in the NBA, hey, do what you got to do, dog. Hit them backhand screens. I don't care how you celebrate. Do what you got to do. But, you know, I, I was very impressed with the Bucks, And needless to say, uh, <laughs> Giannis, I owe you a apology, man. I really do. Like you, you really impressed me. I'm not gonna lie. You really impressed. Even though I don't, I still believe this game wasn't as as important for the Lakers. Still, Giannis, you came out. You did what you were supposed to do. Then the rest of the book, George Hill. All right, I ain't even gonna get into. It. I'm gonna let Jay get to his points. Um, for George Hill, I just want to know where this was when you was playing for Cleveland. You might have a ring if you were show some of this with Cleveland. There's neither here nor there. Um. Hey, this, it meant it, the Bucks is not the best team. They are in the elite bracket with the two LA teams. That's what I took from this game. Over to you, Jay. Yeah, George Hill. George Hill says, "Hey, I might get one at this rate because I'm here to tell you at this particular juncture in the in the NBA regular season, the Bucks are the best team in the NBA. And you can say, and it's fine if you want to say they're in this in the elite bracket. I don't have a huge problem with that because we do have a long way to go." But what I will tell you is they beat the Lakers now and they've swept the Clippers. And those are the those are the two teams we look at out west that are elite out there. And we like to believe that the 76ers will be elite at some point in the East. Those were our four teams that we had in the conference finals. And as of this juncture, Milwaukee's three and zero against those guys, and they'll play the 76ers on Christmas Day. But yeah, I like the Bucks right now. They got the best player in the league at this particular moment in time. And we talked about shooting and what we need to see more of. I am still of the mindset that all Giannis has to do is be a, be somewhat effective from the mid-range game. Well, he said, forget the mid-range. I'm hitting you from three. And the most impressive thing about this, as he goes a career-high five for eight from the three-point line, is this man came up the court at one point, and this man airballed a three. And we was like, oh, oh, that was ugly. He comes up the very next possession. He even deeper and drops one immediately. So that tells you, like, this guy, from a confidence standpoint, he's confident in this shot. And from what I can tell, generally speaking, he likes to shoot from the top of the circle. That's where he likes to shoot his threes. You see Embiid do the same thing, um, generally speaking. But and he's shooting like that. It's going to be impossible because, as you see, this guy at, around the painted area and at the rim is an unstoppable force. And he just, you can tell he sets the tone for that team. Middleton, nice game for him. You mentioned George Hill coming off the bench, putting on that performance. I really like what they're getting from Wesley Matthews. And when you actually size these two teams, these teams up, when you go down to, when you go down to rosters, the biggest advantage that the Lakers have is Anthony Davis being the second best player because whether it's Middleton or Bledsoe or Brooke Lopez, whoever you want to call as Milwaukee's second best, that's their advantage because LeBron, LeBron and Giannis, I think the best the Lakers can do is cancel Giannis out. But when you look at AD has to be so great and be the second best guy uh, over anybody Milwaukee has because I think as you go down the rosters, the Bucks' depth is a superior quality to what the Lakers have. When I'm looking at Matthews, when I'm looking at the Lopez brothers, when I can go down to Ilya Sova off the bench. I just like these parts that the Bucks have. I like the fit. 
I really like the way they share the ball. When I look at pure ball movement and what they can do in that regard, I think their ball movement is as good, if not better, than any other team in the NBA. And you look at their outside shooting, they got pretty much everybody on the squad, When especially now that Giannis is hitting three-pointers. So pretty much I would say everybody except maybe Robin Lopez is a, is a serious threat from three-point range. They didn't have Bledsoe in this game. The Lakers, I got to – so that canceled out with the Lakers being without Kyle Kuzma, so you can make excuses either way in that regard. But, I, look, I like the Bucks right now. I like what they're doing. They've also got a win over the Houston Rockets. They got that on open tonight, 25-4. and four. You mentioned, and we talked about this when the Mavericks beat them without Luka Doncic. We talked about how maybe the Bucks were looking ahead to this game. Well, you know what? You can look ahead if you come out and put on a performance like this because the Lakers got blitzed. In the first half, the, at one point, the Bucks went up by 19, 21 points in the second quarter. And the Lakers made it, they made it uh, respectable in the second half, but it really never felt like the Bucks were in trouble. I thought they were in complete control, really, throughout the game. I do want to give a lot of credit, though, on the Lakers side to Anthony Davis, because this guy, this guy is not right, but, and he was definitely got off to a rough start. Uh, LeBron and AD, neither of them, they, they started 0 for 9 from the floor. They didn't get their first bucket as a duo until 44 seconds left to go in the first. But then after, they, after that, AD started carrying them, put up 36 points, did everything he could to make it a game. And as far as LeBron James is concerned, uh, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of MVP talk for LeBron. I'm here to tell you, you can talk triple-doubles all you want, but that was not an MVP performance. That's just not good enough. I look at I look at numbers. I see 21-12 and 11. But as far as impact, I just wasn't moved by his performance. And and I look and it's a fair point what you say about yeah LeBron ain't sweating this game. He's been you know he's seen this one before and he got we got championship aspirations. Well, I mean you are 24 and five now. You started off 24 and three. So. I mean, the regular season must have some significance if you ball in the way you are and you guys are winning as many games as you are. So um, I think this now one thing. Go ahead. Okay. When I talk about significance, not necessarily saying the game, I'm saying like um, because I, I felt like the game meant more for the Bucks than it did for the Lakers. Okay. I and mean, that, I think, and that's fine. Matter for them. You know what I'm saying? That's, I'm not, and that's, that's probably true. That's probably true. And – one thing I will say, we can point to a five-game road trip, this being the last game of this road trip, and the Lakers being a significantly older team. The one thing I would offer you on that is, if that's true, then wouldn't you be able to start the game better but maybe run out of the gas in the second half? Because that's not how it transpired. The Lakers, they got better as the game went along, whereas they weren't, they weren't very good at all to start the game. Yeah, I agree. But yeah, I like the Bucks as the best team in the league right now. Yeah, the uh that game really I was really impressed with the Milwaukee as a whole. They they just man, we were talking about Jay watching the game. I could not believe I and I guess the more we watched, the more we talked about it, the more I realized like, yeah, these guys really can shoot. But I mean, almost anyone on this team can shoot the ball. It don't matter who it is. It's not like they got one or two dudes that are like they're sharpshooters from deep. It's just like Whoever's got it, just kick it out, and they're just going to knock it down. It was it was amazing, and it really, like Drink, you said, it really stretched the Lakers in that perimeter defense. They were really having a hard time getting guys out there to make the stops. Uh, yeah, the Lakers road trip, guys, uh, They not only was that a six-game road trip, 
that ended uh, in Milwaukee. They also had a three-game road trip before their December 9th game against the Timberwolves. They've been on the road almost the entire month and maybe even back into the end of November. So they've been on the road a lot. We know it kind of limits your practice time and limits your, you know, health and being on the road a lot. You're kind of looking forward to getting home, especially your last game of your trip. And also to remember Anthony Davis was not, was kind of questionable to play with that ankle. And then he had the other injuries going on. So it was, been, it was uh, probably a lot for him to get out there and, uh, yeah, it, it definitely looked like it had an effect. They looked a half a step slow. They looked just a little not quite there. But I will say that, you know, for the Lakers that, yeah, this if this game was played again in the playoffs, you know, in the finals, which is the only point you in time it would be, uh, we might be talking about a different game. You're rested. You're at home. Uh, I think we saw two very talented teams in terms of uh, overall talent. But, you know, you look at the stats, the Lakers shot the ball almost as well as the Bucks did. And they overall played almost about the same game. The difference was rebounds and was turnovers. You're a little sloppy. You're a little lethargic getting to those boards. And Milwaukee, Milwaukee wants those boards a little more. They get a few more than you. And really, that's kind of what the difference wound up being. But, uh, yeah, four points to the Lakers bench. Man, they ain't going to cut it. Uh, Avery Bradley's got to get healthy uh, before and after that uh, hairline fracture. He's not been the same player. Uh, he was averaging uh, 27 minutes and shooting 48 and 28% from the field and from three, and now he's averaging just 20 minutes per game, 37% from the field, and he's basically not making threes at all. So uh, they miss him a lot, and they miss Kuzma. So if they get them back, that game might be different. Yeah, they, Lakers, Lakers got to have Kyle Kuzma because outside of LeBron and AD, Kuzma's the only other guy on that team that can get his own shot consistently, and I think I think that's a huge deal. All right, guys, let's stay in the NBA with yet another recap. Last night, the Dallas Mavericks notched another impressive road win with a victory over the Philadelphia 76ers. Breakout star Luka Doncic was absent again for the Mavericks with a sprained ankle, but they took care of business anyway. Kristaps Porzingis shined as the number one option, pouring in 22 points and 18 rebounds. He also got some help from Tim Hardaway Jr., who got red hot with 27 points, as well as a solid 37-point performance from their bench. Joel Embiid led the 76ers with 33 points and 17 rebounds. However, the rest of the team struggled to help, and the Mavs would consistently pull away from Philly's pushes. The Mavs improved the 19-9 and and remained in the thick of the West, while the Sixers slid to 6th in the East with the loss. So, did the Mavericks win, move the needle for UJ, and should the 76ers be ready to hit the panic button? Uh, yeah, the Mavericks, we, we really got to pay attention to these guys now because they got win, they, they got a win over the Lakers, and then without Luka in this recent stretch, they then went on the road and they beat who I believe is the best team in the league right now, the Milwaukee Bucks. They beat them without Luka. And then they go to Philly and beat Philly without Luka. So, yeah, the, this has moved the needle for me. Uh, out west, again, I like the Lakers and Clippers as the best two teams out there. And then right underneath them, you can make a great case that the Mavericks could be the third best team out in the west. So I really like how the Mavs played last night. Uh, I like how Porzingis really got going after a little bit of a sluggish start. 76ers jumped out to a 13-5 lead. You get a timeout from Rick Carlisle. And then the Mavericks started balling. And uh, it started off, it was Tim Hardaway. Just, you talk about a microwave. This guy was re- absolutely red hot in the first quarter. And it's almost it's almost like Tim Hardaway is a new and maybe improved version of J.R. Smith. You're going to have Hardaway come out there and just going to be cooking for stretches. And then you're going to have a, a two-quarter stretch where I was, look, I was looking around for him. I couldn't find him. But then he came out in the fourth quarter and hit a couple more threes late. So 
He's just one of those guys, and I've talked about the Mavericks in terms of I like, you know, Doncic and Porzingis. You know, I'm really high on them, but who else? Can you get a third option? And it looks like they might have a third option if you can get some Tim Hardaway every now and again. And the Mavericks, they're another team that they really seem to be together. They share the ball really well, and they just have a lot of really good complementary pieces when you think of a guy like Jalen Brunson comes out there and gives you 11.7 assists starting in the absence of Luka Doncic. I got to like what he's giving him. Dorian Finney-Smith gives you 11 points. You got Daylon Wright, Steph Curry coming off the – Seth, excuse me, Seth Curry coming off the bench. They just got a lot of nice pieces, and every player that played double-digit minutes for the Mavericks last night had at least eight points. So guys that play, they all contribute, and that's a positive thing when you look at when you look at them uh, – uh, on the other side, Philadelphia, it, 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 ain't, it ain't time to panic, but it's definitely time to be concerned because, as we talked about for the Lakers, this wasn't the tail end of a five-game road trip to where you may be fatigued, you may be tired, and you come out lethargic. There ain't much excuse about this, especially if no Luka Doncic playing, and you're at full strength. And I don't want to hear this garbage about, oh, well, you know, the, the – Horford, Richardson, Embiid, Harrison, Simmons, they've only played, oh, 130-some minutes to on the court together. I don't, I don't really care. Like, play better. The Mavericks are missing their MVP candidate, and, you're, and they're on the road, and you come out here, and other than Joel Embiid, I mean, who else was doing anything? Um, Embiid gives you 33-17. and 17. Now, he gives you 20 in the first half, so you can say, yeah, well, he, maybe he slipped a little bit in the second half. But I'm not going to complain about you getting 13 more in the second half. And 33 and 17, that's – we've been talking about, hey, MB, 22 and 8 or 10 or whatever, that's not good enough. You need to be better. Well, he gives you 33 and 17. But we need – look, we look at the Sixers and we look at that starting lineup, and on paper it's, it looked like it should be the best starting lineup in the league. And I'm really, I'm really not sold on them beyond that. I don't like their depth at all. But, I mean, the starting lineup last night – I mean, Ben Simmons, is this all we're going to get? Oh, is this all we're going to get? 12 points and just completely allergic to shooting the ball outside of restricted area. Just literally, you look at the court, that semicircle right under the rim, the guy, you, you won't see many shot attempts outside of that area. And if that's the case, if Ben Simmons, and look, I know ESPN and Sports Center's Twitter, they're going to be a Twitter post literally every single time that Ben Simmons hits a three. And it don't look like there's going to be many more than posts because we couldn't find him out there from beyond the arc or, again, beyond the restricted circle. And if that's the case, we got to have something from Tobias Harris. And, of course, watching the Philadelphia 76ers last night, Mr. Max Contract himself, and he put out he put up one of them 1978 clunkers, giving me seven points on three for 11. Just a, just the ultimate no-show. I can't – I'm surprised – I get, he played the game. He was in there, but I mean, God, I'm talking about LeBron James. I didn't see much impact from him. I mean, I could, I came in seven points, two rebounds, and two assists, and max contract. And look again, if this is all we're gonna get from Ben Simmons, if Ben Simmons is gonna be the point guard and not have no interest in in changing his game and making improvements in terms of some sort of perimeter scoring. Tobias Harris got to be your second scorer, and again, I'm still not sold on Tobias Harris. 
I think they made a mistake this offseason not keeping Jimmy Butler. And the loss of J.J. Redick is showing up now because one of the big differences in this game were the Mavericks. They made 42% of their threes. And Philadelphia, they shot 29%. So they don't have the perimeter shooting. Joel Embiid, as it turns out last night, he was your best three-point shooter. So, I mean, that's not enough. Harris Harris missing all of his three-point shots. And, again, the the guys coming off the bench, I I know this kid, Matisse Steibel, he's getting a lot of love for the work he does on the defensive end. Uh, Mike Scott, but Mike Scott, James Ennis, and what's the – Forquez, I came in. They got one dude. I, I can't even. Do, I can't even do it right now. I can't even say his name. But look, the bench ain't much going on on that bench. And Josh Richardson, me and me and Drink talked about this a little bit ago. Who, who's gonna close? Who's gonna close games for you? Because I'm looking at again. I love Joel Embiid, and I think he's a top five talent in this league. But I don't particularly like my guy that closes to be a predominantly interior guy. I like my closer to get it that can get it going from the outside and can get to the paint from the perimeter. And if that's the case, it ain't Ben Simmons. You, can, you because you again, you can't have your closer be a guy who won't shoot from the perimeter. And even when he if he goes to the paint, we don't know how hard he's gonna drive because he can't hit free throws at a at a good clip. So yeah, I'm I'm concerned about the 76ers. I thought they were the they have a great chance to come out of the Eastern Conference. I thought it was a coin flip between them and Milwaukee, but Milwaukee's ahead of them by leaps and bounds. And oh by the way, if the playoffs started today, Philadelphia would be the sixth seed. Yo, yeah, a lot of concerns on the Philly side. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, uh, you know what? <laughs> I can't say it no better. That, that, the sum that sum up that summary of the 76ers was um quite crisp if I must say so myself. Here's the deal though with the Mavericks, right? Did the Mavericks move the needle? Absolutely. Did the Mavericks open some eyes? Absolutely. But I would say this: the Mavericks for me, they're still in that that tier two bracket in the Western Conference for me. They're there with Houston. I think um I gotta have the two LA teams right now. They're a little separate until they play themselves out. And then I got Houston and I got the Dallas Mavericks and the Nuggets kind of all in that tip two bracket. Um, because for me, I like what I've seen from the Mavericks, but like I was telling Jay earlier, now I want to see can they take, because we know Luka Doncic has been doing his thing by himself. Then he gets hurt. Then Porzingis start doing his thing when he gets hurt. Then Tim Hardaway come alive while Luka is hurt. Now, can we put those together? Because at some point, these guys are going to have to play on the court together and perform. And when I look at that, who do I trust more, I guess, um, as the season goes on? As much as I like Luca, as much as I like Porzingis, I have not seen them really play past the month of April. So I would probably have to lean more towards Harden and Westbrook, even though I'm the first to tell you they're the first-round knockouts. They will leave you in the first round in a heartbeat. It's no secret about that. But that's that's why I got them right now. I got them as the fourth best team in the West. But they did move the needle. They woke some people up. Because before the season started, <laughs> I definitely didn't have them fourth in the West. That's for sure. Um, and, and when you look at them, you got to take them as a duo more seriously once they get together. Because I think once these guys get to cooking, 
they will be one of the top five duos in the NBA. There's no doubt about it. But they got to get the cooking together first. They good solo acts, but we got to wait for them to get together. All right? The 76ers, like Jay said, this is bull crap. This is some bull crap here. What are we doing here? Like, come on, man. How many videos did I see in this offseason with Ben's? Oh, he got his shot. Oh, he wide open in some, you know, in some sweats and a headband. <laughs> in some random gym. In some random gym, some YMCA in Wisconsin. And he's, oh, Ben Simmons. Look at this. Oh, uh, wait till the season starts. Philly is going to be rolling, folks. And then the season started. He's still on the back of a milk carton from outside the paint. Like, come on, man. Like, hey, Adam Sandler shoot better than Ben Simmons. Yeah, I mean, really. I see Adam So, <clears throat> look, this is unacceptable. Jay said it. This is unacceptable. One, at this point, how I'm looking at this, one of these guys look like they're going to have to go. You can't have your point guard living in the paint, your center shooting all the threes when he needs to be in the paint because he's probably one of the most dominant big men in the game today in the paint. Like, I don't, I don't know. Do you bring in a coach that know how to make him work a little better? But this been, but at the same time, I don't want to put it on the coach because then I look at it like Golden State. Mike Jackson brought those pups up, and then they booted him out and brought in Steve Kerr once they got once they matured. And I thought that was unfair. So do you kick out Brent Brown, the guy that brought these pups up to where they at now? You know, or do you get rid of one of these guys to create more space for the other guy? Now, I would say this, and I, I know before I get to pushback of what well, space might not really be an issue, like because no matter how much space you give Ben Simmons, he's still not going to take the three. Got that. But maybe it's something. So I, I just don't know how well those guys work together anymore. I, at first, I thought it was going to work. It seems like it's not going to work. Now, to Jay's point about getting rid of the player that they should have kept. I don't know if Jimmy Butler said, I want to be out. And he wanted to go to Miami and be his own man because that's what he got. He got his own team in Miami. Let's be real with the 76ers. It wasn't necessarily been his team. He would have just been the closer. You still would have been looking at MB, kind of looking at Simmons. He goes to Miami. He is the man. He is, without a doubt, the leader of that team. But like you said, we see it now. They need some leadership because MB ain't cutting it. I'm sorry. He ain't cutting it. Is he play- Did he play well last night? Yes. Embiid ain't a leader. I'm sorry. He ain't showed me one doggone thing that made me think this guy's going to lead you to the, the finals. Nothing. All he showed me is he can cry when he get beat on the last-minute shot. He can eat Chick-fil-A before the game. He got a real deal WWE uh, repertoire. And uh, that's all I'm seeing. And he got he got played by Rihanna. This, this is what I'm seeing. I'm not seeing no leadership, you dig? I'm not seeing it. And I'm and, and quite frankly, I'm not really seeing it out Ben Simmons. Because you're going to tell me, you're showing me some leadership, but you don't got enough discipline to develop develop a three-point shot? No. Any, so, any sort of jump shot. Yeah, any sort of jump shot, you know? Yeah, so with that said, with that said, uh, the panic button, they, they might have to eject somebody. It might be a, we out of here, folks. Like, so, something got to give, man. 
one of these guys got to make a move. And I wouldn't be of just to moving Tobias Harris if I can get a couple of shooters to be perfect. Because you sell him to all this money. What is he doing? What are you like? What is this? The Powerball? Did, did, he get a, did he get his numbers right on the Powerball? Don't he got to actually work for his money? Or do he get just get to go in and cash in his little his card and say, hey, I won where my money at? Like, if you're not going to get nothing out of him, try this butt. Go get some shooters. Go get something. You need your team is in a position where, like we said, they should be one of the final four teams. You're about to play yourself out of that right now. You keep playing like this, you will be a bottom of the Eastern Conference team. And I say you right now, if they don't figure this out by All Star break, it's a wrap. It's a wrap. They don't figure this out by All Star break. They're gonna mess around and have to play Milwaukee in the first round or some crap. I played Boston in the first round, and they're out of here. They're out of here. Through all the crap I'm hearing, well, from my belief in them being the second-best team right now, I, I take Boston or Miami over them right now because at least those teams act like they want to play with each other. At least those teams understand they role. And this is one thing I want to say about Milwaukee that I didn't say earlier that, that you kind of made me think of. The players on Milwaukee know they role. That's what it is to me. They know they role. They know Giannis is the man. Middleton is the second if Giannis ain't ain't on. And the Lopez is no, hey, if we got the three, shoot it, go for the board. George Hill know when I come off the bench, I got to give that 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 extra juice, baby, because they're going to need it. Like, they know their roles. They play to their roles very, very well. We seen that. Wesley Matthew, he know he a journeyman, and he, he come, slide in, copy and paste. What you need me to do? I'll let your boy, I stand in this corner, and let's roll. And that's what happens. So that's why I think that's what makes Milwaukee so dangerous. They know they roll. So with all that said, yes, the 76ers need to do something, man. They need a renovation in that piece, all right? They need to move the season ticket holders over to the side and do something. I don't know, but they, they need a renovation. And, yes, Dallas did move the needle. Like I said, they probably number four for me in the Western Conference. And I want to see the two European sensations gel, and let's see what Mark Cuban got up his sleeve. Yeah, a couple, couple more points. Uh, one, Christoph Porzingis, and I told Cody this last night. From a pure talent perspective, I think we forget sometimes how great Christoph Porzingis can be. I don't think there's anything that Joel Embiid can do that Porzingis can't, other than being a bit more dominant. Under, underneath the basket because he's just a little bit bigger. But you look at Porzingis. This guy, again, you forget this guy is seven foot three with a handle, with an outside shot that can get to the rim like he's a perimeter player. It's just, it's just freakish. And that's why they, they, we forget they called him the unicorn. And he, this guy's starting to get it together. He's got four straight 2010 games. He's getting more and more comfortable. 18 rebounds last night. Just, just something to behold, and I, that that's going to be something to watch him and Luca going forward. I think I think it's one of those things where they're gonna they're gonna be even better once they get a little bit more comfortable playing together. And on the other side, where I'm talking about talent with Porzingis, I've been hearing all this for years now about how great Ben Simmons is, and I just ain't seeing it to be honest with you. I mean, in terms of in terms of overall impact and from a scoring perspective. This guy, this this guy does not space the floor at all, and he, 
you're right. The MB Simmons fit, and I haven't touched on it all that much, but yeah, I would. There, people making an argument in the offseason, oh, would you keep Simmons? Would you keep keep Embiid? And the only argument against Embiid is his health, and his health appears to be relatively okay right now. And with that being said, if you're going to move somebody, Simmons got to get out of here because, to me, I will take the guy the superior talent, again, top five talent in this league, over a guy who's healthy, but I don't see any any inkling of a – a willingness to get better in something that you are clearly deficient at from a shooting perspective. And last point, you bring up coaching. I, I don't know how much of this lies at the feet of Brett Brown, but let's make no mistake. Brett Brown is on notice and he's coaching for his job right now. And what I mean by that is if they don't make the Eastern Conference Finals, Brett Brown's out of here. We'll need y'all to leave my man Ben Simmons alone. The man is shooting 40% from three this year. I'm just kidding. He's too. One of the most deceiving, the most deceiving statistic of all time. Hey, I was about to say not numbers. Numbers don't lie. Numbers don't lie. Hey, give me the the attempts in the mix. Hey, I I, I don't. I don't have those. I'm sorry. That's crazy. So deceiving. Uh, uh, They wouldn't even show forty percent. They would just put two for five because they know it's fake. Going going through a tunnel. Internet's cut. Nah. Um. Yeah, man. I had a lot of fun watching the Mavericks last night. I'll be real honest with you. Um, I don't have like a real home team in the NBA. If I was ever going to bandwagon on a team for a while, it'd probably be Dallas. They were a ton of fun to watch. You're talking about selfless basketball, just getting to the open guy. Who was, who, who was the guy that drove in? Was it Finney Smith drove in and then kicked it back to Porzingis for the dunk? Like he beat the man. No, that was Daylon Wright. Okay, yeah, whoever it was, I mean, that was amazing. Like, he got in on the play, and then he had this – he just turned around, and he knew someone was going to be trailing him, and sure enough, Porzingis was right there, and he just flipped it up to him, and he threw it down. And that kind of selfless play, man, it was – that team looks like a team that really is playing well together. And I think this little sprint without Luka is going to be really good for Porzingis because I think up until this point he's been kind of sitting back and being that second option and just kind of, you know – I think he – I don't say he wanted to get his mojo back, but he probably needed a little bit of time by himself to kind of remember what all he could do when he was in New York and what his full skill set is. And I think that when Luka comes back and you've got this – he's got these games under his belt, these guys could be a lot of fun. Don't they kind of – this is probably premature. Don't they kind of remind you a little bit of the 2010-11 Mavericks that won the championship? Like having these two stars like this and having a lot of really good guys around him. I mean – you could, we could probably break it down one day. There's probably some similarities between those two teams. Now, I don't think Dallas is there yet. I think they got another year. I mean, it'd be yeah, really right. something if they made that run this year. But, um, boy, does this team look like a team that could be good for several years? I mean, you're talking about the contracts and everything else. This is this is their team for a while. I mean, no one's no one's imminently going anywhere. So they, they, were a, they were a blast to watch last night. And like you said, if Tim Hardaway can stay cooking, and some of these other guys can just keep stepping up, they're going to win a lot of basketball games this year. And, yeah, for Philly, I think um, – I think a referendum is coming one way or the other. I think either uh, Simmons or Embiid are going to be traded. It's probably going to be Simmons. I think it probably move Harris. I just don't know if Harris has the same trade value as Simmons would right now, as bad as Harris is playing. And I think there's a lot of teams that still look at Ben Simmons and look at all his tools that he has, even without the you know perimeter shooting, and they can still use him in a good fit. Whereas you know a lot of teams would go, I can still make him fit in our system. Where you know a guy like Harris, maybe they'd be like, eh, it's too much money, not enough production. Uh, but I think that, like you said, either the coach is going to get fired or they're going to make a big trade at the trade deadline this year because uh, they're going to not only need some perimeter shooting, but uh, they're also need some help on this bench. But, man, what, how much do they miss uh, Reddick and Butler right now? What a what a 
lost that's been, both from the leadership perspective, the shooting perspective. Um, they miss those guys both on and off the court, and I think that might be the difference in Philly versus some of the other Eastern Conference elites this year. And I, and I just wanted to say, um, maybe if Ben Simmons go to another team, maybe they could consider moving him from the point guard to, like, a forward position or something. Because you can't play point guard without shooting the ball. This is why LeBron is able to play the point because he's willing to shoot the ball. You have to be able to shoot the ball. So if you really in your head saying, I'm, I don't have to take outside shots, you're right. You don't have to take outside shots. You just won't be the point guard no more. You can be like a forward or something, and then you can take all the inside shots you want to. But we can't have the ball in your hand 80% of the game and you refuse to take a shot. You just can't. And it's, and to your point about Dallas, I think this year, start comparisons. Um, I just think they got too much of a uphill battle to win it all this year. But next year, I think, will be a year where they'll get taken in, into account as definitely like uh, a championship level team. All right, we now move on to the 2020 Basketball Hall of Fame nominees. It's a star-studded list of eligible players going into next year, headlined by Kobe Bryant, Tim Duncan, Kevin Garnett, and Chris Bosh. There's also a host of return ballers, including Chris Webber, Mark Jackson, and a few members of the 05 Pistons. Looks like a pretty competitive field, guys, and it's always really kind of hard to draw the line between great and Hall of Fame territory. That's what the committees and boards' jobs will be February and April, but we don't have to wait that long. Who's in and who's out on this list, Drink? Um, let's be real here. We got three, we got three show enough clear cut guys in this list. Um, Kobe Bryant, I don't got to say much. Everybody know what it, what, what it is with that. Tim Duncan, same thing, clear cut. If you don't, I'm going to tell you this. If you don't think Kobe Bryant and Tim Duncan deserve to be in on the first ballot, you can just go shoot yourself and start watching basketball. Kevin Garnett, me and Jay, was, we was going back and forth about Kevin Garnett. Um, Kevin Garnett definitely had the credentials to be a, fir- a first ballot. No, no doubt about it. Um, I just, my, my only thing with Kevin Garnett is if you had an argument, I would hear you out about the argument. Whereas Kobe Bryant and Tim Duncan, I don't want to hear that. Get, get out of my face. I don't want to hear that crap. So you got those three guys, right? Those three guys should get in. Now those are the first ballots. Now, <clears throat> me and Jay was getting into some of the guys, the repeat ballot guys that we think would, would almost get in, and we was talking about the Chris Webbers of the world, the Mark Jacksons of the world. You know, those guys should get in. Now, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, usually every year the Hall of Fame puts in around seven um, nominees. So if we go off that premise, I already told you the first three guys and probably two guys that's going to repeat, so that'll give us five. If they say, okay, we really need to put in seven, I think that will move Chris Bosch in to the Hall of Fame as a first ballot if they go that route. And then that last guy is a toss-up. Um, we like to think we was talking about we was talking about guys like, you know, I don't know, Tim Tim Hardaway, for example, or Chauncey Billups. Like, these are guys that, I mean, if you take away one, like, Chauncey Billups got a ring. You take away that ring, are we considering him? Are we really considering him? But he does have the ring, so we have to consider him. So you got guys like that that's fringe, that's on the fringe of what's going on. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see 
who makes the final cut. Uh, like I said, it's only three guys in this class that I just know for a fact when they announce the finalists, those three guys will be on the finalists. That's Kobe, that's Tim, that's Garnett. Now, who's out? Sean Marion? Yeah, all right. Michael Finley? Yeah, sure. Mark Eat? Look here. Me, if I got to... If I if I gotta go through Wikipedia to see what you're talking about, I'm one. I'm clearly not old enough to know who you are. Clearly, and then two, you just probably wasn't good enough because I wasn't old enough to know. I wasn't old enough to see Wilt Chamberlain, but I know who he is. I wasn't old enough to see Larry Bird, but I know who he is. So if I ain't never heard your name a day in my life. I don't know. Maybe you didn't get marketed enough. I don't know. Buck Williams, better luck next year. Um, you know, uh, Ben Ben Wallace. Now, you when you talk about Ben Wallace, right? You got to put some respect on his name for what he did defensively. Four-time defense player of the year. But I mean, I had to pull out a telescope to find out what he did offensively. I mean, I couldn't see it. I got bad eyes and everything, but some stuff just ain't there. I mean, it's just what it is. It's just not there. So I don't know what he did offensively, but if you want to put him based on the merits of straight one side of the ball, then I guess Ben Wallace, you know, put him in there. Marcus Camby, um, I think he's one of the guys on this list that's going to benefit highly of what he did in college, how he took a, um, him and John Carr. Him and uh, John Carr Perry took a relatively unknown UMass team and put them – on the national stage, um, and then he did come in. He had he had a great NBA career. I just don't know if it's Hall of Fame worthy, like you said in the lead-in. You got some guys that was great NBA players, and you got guys that was Hall of Fame. And I don't know if Marcus Camby is man, considered Hall of Fame. So, yeah, man, my list, who's in for sure, for the showski, as I like to say, Kobe Bryant, Tim Duncan, Kevin Garnett. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing Chris Webber in. And I wouldn't mind seeing uh, Mark Jackson, and 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 who's out? You uh, well, and Chris Boss, my bad, Chris Boss as well. Sean Marion, Michael Finley, Mark Eaton, Buck Williams. Better luck next year. Yeah, as far as these first year nominees, it's it's pretty easy, and it it don't take a lot of basketball knowledge to recognize that. Yeah, Kobe, Tim Duncan, and Kevin Garnett. Uh, these these guys should be shoe in first ballot Hall of Famers. Uh, Kobe and Tim Duncan, uh, they're more on the unanimous side. and I think you can make a bit of an argument against KG, perhaps, if you want to. But I still think he's done enough and accomplished enough in his career that I would put him in as a first ballot Hall of Famer. we got to remember, out of the entire Minnesota Timberwolves history, would their history be worth anything at all if it wasn't for Kevin Garnett? I mean, let's, let's be honest about this. Outside of Kevin Garnett, I don't know anything notable that the Minnesota Timberwolves franchise has done. I really, really don't. So I'm looking at that. And then Chris Bosh. Chris Bosh is interesting because he's got two championships, 11-time All-Star. He may, he, he's one of those guys that came over to Miami, ended up being the third wheel on their champion, two championship teams. Really, really, when he came to Miami, kind of, had to make some changes to his game, and he was able to adapt with the changes in the game. As it became more perimeter-oriented, 
he found himself at the three-point line more often and became quite efficient at that. Really, And then defensively, really good in the pick and roll, could switch off on smaller guys. And the way he left the game due to his health, I think that I think he can still get in because I think there's always the assumption that, and it's kind of like Terrell Davis in the NFL, the injuries that came upon him, you still give him credit for all he was able to accomplish. And again, two-time champion. So we got to look at that and put some respect on that. Uh, with that being said, though, I wouldn't vote him in first ballot, but I do, but I do believe he deserves a spot in the Hall of Fame. So I think you, I think you got three surefire, no doubt, first ballot dudes on here. Uh, again, Chris Bosch, that's a little bit of a discussion point. And then, yeah, uh, Sean Marion, Michael Finley, these are really good players. Uh, I just don't see enough. I just don't think there's enough on on their resumes to have them in as Hall of Famers. And you got to be, you got to really, listen, this is the Hall of Fame we're talking about. This ain't one of them things where everybody comes out and gets a trophy. This is an exclusive, th- these are exclusive things we're talking about. So we got to be, we got to be really careful on how we do this and select these guys because we don't want to dilute it. You know, we don't, I mean, let's be real. I mean, does Michael Finley belong in the same breath as a guy like Kobe Bryant? I mean, even even uh, even Chris Bosh and Kobe. I mean, there are levels to this. So first ballot, Hall of Fame, and then guys who don't make it. We got we to gotta really pay attention and break this down to make sure we separate these things. And as far as the guy, oh, and I left out, yeah, Mark Eaton, Buck Williams. I, I don't, I, I don't even know why these guys are on the ballot. To be honest with you, Drink brought up the fact that maybe the, 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 the numbers that we're looking at and how they don't seem to be all that impressive. Although, Mark, listen, Mark Eaton had, I think he, he won a cup, yeah, five, yeah, two-time defensive player of the year. He had a season where he blocked almost six shots a game. But, again, I mean, it's kind of like the situation we're talking about with Ben Wallace. What did you do on offense? Did you do anything? Um, ben Wallace in a telescope. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, this, this seems to be the year of the 05 Piston. I mean, where's Rasheed Wallace on this list? Can we get him in here? Uh, listen, I like Mark Jackson and Chris Weber. I think those are guys that get in. Mark Jackson's second all-time in assist in the NBA. And then Chris Weber again, at Chris Weber's height, at the height of his career, this was a guy that was maybe outside of Shaq. He might have been the most dominant big man in basketball and had a five-year stretch of 2010 seasons. Again, you can we can look at championships not being on his resume, but we got to be – listen, when you're when you're this kind of talent and your production says so, listen, I mean, when, not everybody can win. I mean, Charles Barkley doesn't have rings. It doesn't mean he, he's not a Hall of Famer. Patrick Ewing don't have rings. Still a Hall of Famer. So we got to take that into account. Uh, all these other guys, I'm, I'm not all that sold on. Uh, Chauncey Billups, I mean, and you, you listen, you alluded to it in your in your diatribe. You said outside of this one ring and this one NBA Finals MVP, I mean, what have you done? And for a guy named Mr. Big Shot, uh, let's be real. If we're going off uh, that, if we're going off that nickname, then we need to throw Robert Horry in the Hall of Fame because I'm pretty sure Robert Horry has hit more big shots than Chauncey Billups. So we got to look at that. Richard Hamilton, I think one of the things that can help him is he was on that 05 Pistons team, and he's got a he's got a college championship uh, at, at UConn in his college career. Uh, and Marcus Camby, Tim Hardaway, yeah, you can make arguments, I suppose, but uh, I, I'm definitely not sold on on those guys. And 
listen, they're, they're they're on the ballot again, so they've already they've already had to vote on these guys one time, and the the voters were not sold on them the first time. So, but yeah, no doubt at the when it's all said and done, Kobe, Duncan, Garnett, and I, I would go Mark Jackson and Chris Webber, and I I probably wouldn't vote for Bosch the first time, but I do think he does deserve a spot in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I would uh, I would absolutely agree with the top three. You're not going to make much arguments than any of those guys. Um, like I said, you could maybe, if you wanted to poo-poo Kevin Garnett a tiny bit, like you, know, you probably get the argument in, but uh, no, he's th- those three are, are are locks. You know, you know, 15 to 18 time All Stars, All NBAs, uh, all had MVPs, all had rings. I mean, it's you know, obviously Kobe and Duncan are beyond reproach in that yeah, case. Okay. Yeah, one more, yeah, one quick point. The only reason we're saying this about Kevin Garnett right now is because he's going in with Tim Duncan and Kobe. Yes. That's the only reason. I, I, That's exactly. I, I agree, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah when well, you put them next to those two, the numbers even then kind of are like, yeah. But, yeah, th- I think when you consider this kind of award, we have to remember it's not the NBA Hall of Fame, it's the Basketball Hall of Fame. So it's an all-encompassing award and uh, in, in Hall of Fame that's going to count college, it's going to count your other contributions to the game, uh, personalities that have been around the game. A guy like Mark Jackson, you know, a guy that's not only played, but he's coached, you know, does the commentating, he does everything. I mean, he's been around the game his whole life and has contributed to the game in multiple ways. I think you're going to see guys like that get a bit of an edge over someone maybe who just had an NBA career and walked away from the game and retired and went to their house and did whatever they did with their gold-plated Humvees and all that stuff, you know, so you, you get these guys, and then you have some guys that are kind of around the narrative. You know, we have the 05 Pistons, that narrative of, of the, the storybookness of that team and how they kind of, you know, maybe emulated the old bad boy Pistons or something and how they were kind of different from everybody else. And they, I think people – that's a championship team where you're thinking about previous championship teams that kind of stand out because it was one time and it was they – were, they were a bit different than the other teams that won it. So I think sometimes some of these guys get a little bit of a – the narrative kind of outgrows the the players themselves, you know. I think if you took that ring away, like you said, none of these guys would probably be Hall of Famers because you do have to draw that line somewhere. And I think this year when you look at if we have in, in the list, you know, Garnett, Bosch, and then like Barry and or Finley, that line is pretty close in the middle there somewhere. And I think Chris Bosch falls in that line. I, I would at least understand if Chris Bosch didn't get it because like Jay said, you know, your two rings were – behind Wade and LeBron, you know, you kind of had that third wheel going on and you didn't really do a whole lot outside of that. But you could also, like Jay said, give him a lot of credit for coming to a team like that and being able to adapt his game and being a player that can do more than just one thing really well. So uh, either way, if Chris Bosch doesn't get it this year, he will be in there at some point, I'm pretty sure. But yeah, I like what y'all you know, pretty much ran down the top three there. And then guys like Jackson and Weber, I think that would be a, a very good class. So finalists are in February and the inductees are announced in early April. All right, guys, let's kick over to the game where the ball doesn't bounce nearly as well. There's an NFL triple header Saturday with plenty of action to get into. The hot Buccaneers host the Texans at 1. The Bills head to the woodshed in Foxborough at 4.30. We wrap up the evening out west where the Rams try to keep their very slight playoff hopes alive against the 49ers. In addition to the Saturday action, we're also keeping tabs in the NFC East dumpster fire where a possible playoff spot can be clinched if the Cowboys can knock off the Eagles on the road. With plenty of other playoff-implicating games like Saints-Titans and Packers-Vikings, it's sure to be a big weekend. What games are you most looking forward to this weekend, Jay? Let me get this out the way up front. You guys might be keeping tracks of the NFC East and whatever teams play out there. I, I'm done with this division. I will not be keeping tabs on this because whoever wins that game in that division, they better hope to God that it is not the San Francisco 49ers that they're matching with up in the wild card round. 
because make no mistake, they will get rickrolled out the playoffs in that case. The Seahawks will beat either one of those teams, but it at least, I think it'll at least be competitive because the Seahawks don't tend to just obliterate people. But the 49ers, they're, yeah, they're gonna they're gonna get the business. But let's move on to some games that matter and some legitimate NFL teams. The Buffalo Bills and New England Patriots later on that afternoon, that's a huge game for a myriad of reasons. The Buffalo Bills, let's be honest here. Drink is very high on these guys. Uh, I am not. I am not. But listen, this is one of those games where it can open some people's eyes. Similar to what we talked about, what the Mavericks have done recently in the NBA. This is one of those games on the road, hostile environment in a place Traditionally, where you have not had success in the Tom Brady, Bill Belichick era, I believe Tom Brady is 31 and three against the Bills, by the way. So with that being said, this is a real opportunity for the Bills to show up and say, you know what? We're 10 and four. We're trying to get to that 11 win plateau. And we are serious here in the AFC playoff conversation. And I, I really think this is a game for the Bills that's really important, but it's also important for the Patriots because we got to understand. Patriots 11-3 right now. The Chiefs are 10-4, and and the Chiefs beat the Patriots. So the Patriots really can't afford to lose because if they do, the Chiefs are going to wind up with that second first-round bye, and the Patriots, they'll get a home playoff game, but the road to the Super Bowl is going to be really, really tough. And let's face it, their offense, we've said it recently on this show, this offense just ain't good enough. You don't run the ball with Sonny Michelle. That has not been good enough all year. And the weaponry you've eclipsed Tom Brady with, it's like bringing a knife to a gunfight. So you can go ahead and forget about it. But if you can at least beat Buffalo and assure yourself of a first-round bye, again, you give yourself a chance because you give yourself a home playoff game, you skip the wild card round, and you show up in the AFC Championship game, and you figure, hey, can Bill give us one game plan that can kind of maybe somewhat put the clamps on Lamar Jackson? And we don't know. But you start off, listen, you need this win. The other game I'm really paying attention to is the Packers and Vikings. There's a whole lot on the line here. The Packers, if they win this game, they clinch the division. They put themselves in really good position out in the NFC. And the Vikings, look, they're in the play. That looks like they'll be in the playoffs, but look, I, they need one more win to assure themselves of a spot. And listen, th- this is a pride thing, too. The Vikings lost to the Packers earlier this season. And there are people out here right now that believe the Vikings are a better football team than the Green Bay Packers. And one thing to keep an eye out in this game, Dalvin Cook, is he going to play? Is he not going to play? Because that's a huge deal. Because much like we talked about the running backs who we feel are underutilized, maybe it's Ezekiel Elliott, maybe it's Todd Gurley. Well, the Minnesota Vikings, ain't no question about who they lean upon. It's Dalvin Cook. And one of the things we're looking at with the Vikings, if you take away Dalvin Cook, if you take away that running game, is Kirk Cousins going to be the same? So that's one of the things to keep an eye on. And I, I think it's, I think it'd be a great measuring stick for Kirk Cousins if Dalvin Cook does not play. And it's a, again, it's a primetime game. Historically, Kirk Cousins is not good in those. But look, NFC North, Packers, Vikings, last Monday night game of the year. That'll be a good one to look forward to. Those are the two games I'm looking at. Hey. You know how I feel about the Bills Mafia, baby. Look, I think we're going to start hearing some rumblings about a new quarterback in New England after this uh, Saturday game today, baby. Because, um, oh, yeah, hey, the Bills about to go in here. Look, first of all, the Patriots beat him the first time. And, was, and I think, I'm going to be honest with you, the only reason they beat him the first time is because 
Josh Allen didn't make it to the you know the fourth quarter to do uh, do a little something something. Um, and they still was competitive with the backup quarterback. They yeah they're still competitive with the backup quarterback. So look, the Patriots. Look, this is the re- one reason I think the Bills gonna win. When I hear everybody mention this game, the one laurels that they keep standing on is where history tells us. What history tells us, it's hard for me to go against the Patriots because what they done done in the past, in the past. Hey, first of all, we can all agree this ain't the same Patriots team than in the past. And we can all agree this ain't the same Bills team as in the past. So these circumstances are different this year. That's, that's the bottom line. This is not the overwhelming AFC uh, beast from the east. This is not that Patriots team. They they gonna have to put some sauce on it. So with that said, hey, the Bills gonna go in here. Josh Allen gonna go show a little. Cause Josh Allen ain't gotta do to make like ten plays. He make ten plays, they're gonna win the game. Watch what I tell you. If he make a good ten solid plays, convert roughly five first downs. What? Watch what I tell you. It's gonna be a low scoring affair. Do that what you want, but this Patriot team ain't throwing up a lot of points. They're not. It's a low-scoring affair. You know, both defenses are impressive, so it comes down to the offenses. And I got to believe Josh Allen is the mobile guy, so he can make some things shake, just like Lamar Jackson, where you got Tom Brady getting ready to be a, a, a doggone exhibit at a museum, all right? He's over there, stiff as can be. Putting on his uh his lotion, his avocado lotion, right? Getting ready. Hey, look, I'm, I'm tired of people coming to me with this bull crap about what the Patriots used to do. This ain't the same Patriots. Like, don't give me uh like you just spit that stat. You said 31 and three. Like, yeah, that sounds fantastic, but it ain't got nothing to do with this year. So I think the Bills gonna go over there. They're gonna they're gonna go into box bro that almighty powerful fox roll and they're gonna make it happen on saturday and then on their way out they're gonna say i hope you uh enjoyed your game here today because when the playoffs start you might not get one here baby you know what i'm saying because at the end of the day if they beat them then i want to say the division gets decided next week so Yeah, yeah buffalo needs to win out and i think the patriots have to lose of course, they'd have to lose this afternoon, and Miami would have to beat New England. Yeah, mess around and go down and lose to Miami. Oh, that look, come on. These are things that are not going to happen. The Bills are going to have this nice little wild card spot. Yeah, uh-huh. And the Jets wasn't supposed to happen against the Cowboys, and we've seen that. Let me tell you something. Yeah, but, hey, that's the Cowboys. This ain't the Patriots. No. Listen, you listen. You do have to realize. Listen to this. What I got to realize? The information I'm about to drop to you. Hold on a second. I'll drop it to me. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Listen, you do realize that the Patriots, for all the grief we're giving them, they're going to be 13-3 and three because they're going to win this game. They're going to beat Miami. They're going to be 13-3. and three. We are dogging this scene because their offense is not all that impressive, and that's true. But listen, you can tell, you can give me all this stuff about Josh Allen all you want to in the Buffalo Bills. I'm going to tell you one thing. This game ain't going to come down to mistakes. It's going to come down to who makes mistakes. And when I look at the quarterback matchup in this game, you can give me Josh Allen mobility all you want to, but Josh Allen going to make them mistakes. Just like he made in whatever, week three or whatever it was, 
You talking about this stuff. Oh, if Josh Allen hadn't got hurt, he would have done something. He was getting, look, he won't do anything in the first three quarters of this game except throwing all them picks. And the Patriots barely won. And the Patriots barely won. The Patriots offense need to get like 10 points in this game. Because you know what? They're going to get seven seven to 10 more points from the defense and special teams. And then let me give you this sauce right here. Who got the better run game? Yeah, that's probably Buffalo too. Singletary looked like he running the ball a lot better than old Sony Michelle is. Now, if you want to talk about the running backs coming out the backfield and catching, yeah, that's New England. But let's act like Tom Brady ain't skipping the ball down the field when he's throwing 10-yard scampers this year. Let's act like Julian Edelman, his boy, his best friend, ain't hurt and been complaining all year. Then Tom Brady want to get mad at the rookies because they ain't doing what they supposed to do. It's everybody fault but Tom Brady, even though he looks like he got the arm strip of a two-year-old toddler. Like, get out of here. Look, let me tell you something, all right? I'm tired of people that, like, everybody is trying to polish this old bull crap up and turn it into gold. No, no, it ain't happening this year. Tom Brady is out here stinking up the joint, looking looking about like, and I say this all the time, looking just like Peyton Man on his way on out with that Broncos team. He out here stinking up the joint. Now, I do agree with you about the turnover factor. Will Josh Allen be a – yeah, yeah, I agree with that. He might fumble. He might – whatever. But it won't be enough. All right? I got this 13-10. Bill. Bill. What, what a barn burner. Yeah, what a barn burner. Yeah. I got it 1917. <laughs> <laughs> Go All ahead, Cody. Right. I, uh, I got the Dills 100-0. You know how I do those games. But – uh. Well, let's hey, let's remember on the uh, this hey for the numbers for the record, Josh Allen before he left that game was thirteen to twenty eight for with one hundred fifty three yards and a pit and three picks. Yeah, and then yeah. Tom Brady right. the whole game was eighteen to thirty nine for a hundred and fifty yards and a pick. So yeah, what was the final score of the game? What was the final score? Sixteen to ten, New England. Oh, okay. So oh, that, hey, oh, Josh yeah. Allen all that run around got him knocked out the game too. Yeah. And look, and he gave them three extra possessions. And what they do with them? Evidently not a whole lot. So that's my point. Bills Mafia about to come in here. They're gonna clean up the mistakes. And we about to we about to roll, baby. It ain't rolling at thirteen ten. That ain't rolling. <laughs> hey, any, any win against New England evidently that is might, like oh. that might be rolling if you going downhill. I, I do think it's hilarious. Like you said, we're clowning this Patriots team. They're 11-3 and three and about to win. Uh, they're, you know, could win the division again for every year since 2003 besides one year. But, hey, the Bills have a chance. I mean, that defense is good. They do what they did last time. They do have a chance. I mean, it, it is that's for sure. But, but here's the thing. Here's the thing, Cody. I'm not clowning the New England team. See, I, what I'm doing, I'm shedding light. I'm shedding the light on the Buffalo team. In order for me to shed said light, though, I do have to say negative things about the Patriots. But I'm not, like, trying to, like, you know, discredit the Patriots. I'm just saying I'm I, people overlook the obvious to see what they want to see. And I'm saying, look, just like you, we could spit out that Josh Allen threw three interceptions, got knocked out of the game, let's talk about the fact that they only won the game by six points. Mm-hmm. So – Matt Barkley even gave him a pick, too. And so they so, had four interceptions. And right? So with points. that said, Buffalo, New England is not that far above Buffalo. And it's not unreasonable to see Buffalo go into New England and take care of business. You take away those turnovers, 
you you don't know what type of game you are. That's all I'm saying. The gap is not as big as everybody try to put it like in the past. Everybody's living off the past, the past, the past. I'm saying this season, this Buffalo team is different. This New England team is different. That's all I'm saying. That's fair enough. A couple other games that were on the slate that are interesting is you got Rams going to the 49ers, uh, two teams that have been kind of hot and cold recently. The Rams were looking like they were going to make a big playoff push, and they went in there and got absolutely just rolled by the, by the Cowboys for seemingly no reason. Their playoff hopes are absolutely on life support. Uh, but they can stay alive. They do beat the 49ers. And uh, I'm interested to see if the Titans at home can do anything against the Saints. Uh, this is a Titans team that is definitely in the thick of the AFC wildcard picture still. Uh, Cleveland, Oakland, and Indianapolis all screwing around the last few weeks has given them a sizable lead. And it's pretty much Tennessee or Pittsburgh for that last uh, wildcard spot since we know Buffalo's you know going to be probably that five seed locked up. Uh, or I guess New England could be, but... Um, either way, you know, it's kind of, that, that race has come down to two teams, and every time looks like the Titans get those kind of expectations, they just kind of fall apart. But uh, it'll be interesting to see if that very good Saints team come to town, if they can do anything there. And, yeah, Vikings-Packers, absolutely. You know, spotlight's going to be on Kirk Cousins. Is he going to – are we going to get the good Kirk Cousins we got last time we had him on primetime, or are we going to get uh, we're going to get the pumpkin Kirk Cousins that is going to roll over to the Packers and hurt them on that? One comment I wanted to uh... – I meant to say this earlier was not only is Davin Cook uh, banged up, but evidently the backup Matson is banged up. Both running backs have been um, not participating in practice all much this this week, and I do think Davin Cook, unless the coach take his helmet away and don't let him play, I I, I got a strong feeling he's gonna play with this bad shoulder because he understands his importance in this offense. Because you can't put this on Kirk Cousins, you just can't. I don't care what nobody. You can't put this on Kirk Cousins unless you want to walk away with the L for sure. Um, so I, I do think that he's going to try to at least give it a go, take a hit or two, and then if he's not feeling it after that, he's out of here. But you can't put this on Kirk Cousins. All right, guys, I'm going to finish off with some rapid reaction, a lot of topics and a little bit of time. We'll start with you, Drink. All right, man, let's roll. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are expected to bring back quarterback Jameis Winston for the 2020 season. Do you agree with this move? Yes, but only on a one-year basis, which I believe that's going to be. It's either going to be a franchise tag, a transition tag, but I think he's shown you enough. He's shown you enough this season to where, hey, Bruce Arians, let him have another season. Let's see if we can cut down, cut down some of the mistakes. But, look, he looked like he's going to throw 5,000 yards, second in the league in touchdowns. So, yeah, give him one more year. Last night in Phoenix, Arizona at the Talking Stick Resort Arena on the Zone, there was a boxing super middleweight main event between Daniel Jacobs and Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. Who proved more last night? Um, I'm, I'm going to say Daniel Jacobs because he won, but Julio, hey, let me tell you something, man. This dude is one of those kids, your daddy was great, and you came up behind him, and you just you just missed the legacy up. He quit last night on some bull crap. He's just a disappointment, so I'm going to go with Daniel Jones. Oh, Daniel Jacobs, I'm sorry. The Chicago White Sox have signed lefty Gio Gonzalez to a one-year, $5 million deal. Is that a good move? Yeah, good uh, good veteran presence here. 130 wins in his career. 3.68 career earned run average. But yeah, I like this move. It balances out some of the youth they have in that rotation. Yeah, I think it's a good move. Earlier this morning on ESPN Plus in Busan, South Korea, at the Sajik Arena, there was a UFC featherweight main event. Between the fifth-ranked featherweight Frankie Edgar and the seventh-ranked featherweight Chan Sung Jung. What were your thoughts on this fight? Well, 
for the little lack of a fight that it was. Um, dude, um, John, the the Korean zombie, as they call him, he looked at just like that. He came out here and smoked old Edgar and uh, made, put his name in the hat for a title fight at the featherweight division. So kudos to him. Home, the hometown of Heisman Trophy winner Joe Burrow announced Thursday they will rename their high school football field the Joe Burrow Stadium. That is, that's a nice gesture, isn't it? Yeah, that's, that's, what, that's a nice story. One of the things where, you know, small-town kid makes good. Hey, hometown, give him something out there. Name something after him. Name, give, give him a street, maybe. You know what I'm saying? Good stuff. Also tonight in Honolulu, Hawaii, at the Neil S. Blaisdell Arena on the Zone. There's a Bellator flyweight championship main event between the champ Elena McFarland and Kate Jackson. Who you got? I'm going to take McFarland. Kate Jackson relatively unknown. She ain't fought nobody. I think McFarland, she's only fighting her to get a warm-up for a un, um, unannounced flyweight that's coming from a prominent um, organization that's going to come in the Bellator. So it's just a warm-up. No big deal. Pascal Siakam and Marcus Gasol will be out indefinitely for the Toronto Raptors due to, due to a groin and ankle injuries. They sustain Wednesday night. Who will they miss more? Now they're going to miss Siaka more because he's averaging 25 points a game, and he's absolutely earning every penny of that max contract he signed. So that's a huge loss. But, yeah, Gasol and also Norman Powell, they're going to miss all these guys. James Wiseman is withdrawn from Memphis. He's going to hire an agent, and that's going to accelerate his preparation for the 2020 NBA draft. You surprised? Absolutely not. Um, these kids are getting tired of the NCAA with the bull crap, all right? They going back and they looking at old records. Oh, he gave him some money when he wasn't the coach and all this other. Like, come on, man. Like, now nah, these kids. And I'm telling you now, all this gonna do is hurt them more when they get when they get rid of one and done. Like when they get rid of one and done, it's it. College basketball, the popularity of college basketball is finna take a nosedive. So keep that crap up. Los Angeles Angels show E. Otani has completely has completely recovered from Tommy John surgery and is expected to return to pitching and hitting like he did in 2018. This should excite Angel fans, right? Yeah, I'm sure they're excited. I, I, I would offer some caution, though, because I'm not a big fan of this whole pitching and hitting thing. It didn't work. It really didn't work in 2018 from a health perspective, and I think there's a little bit of buyer beware. Last one tonight in Ontario, California, at the Toyota Arena on Fox. It's the WBC super welterweight champ Tony Superbad Harrison defending his title against fellow knockout artist Jermel Ironman Charlo. This is a rematch. How do you see it play out, Drink? Um, well, the first one, um, a minute thought that Charlo was robbed. They felt that he won the fight, but you know how boxing go. Those judges, you never know who slid them somebody before the match. Um, so... I think this this one will go 12 rounds, but I think this time the decision will go to Charlo, and it's going to be like a in basketball, you know how they have makeup calls. I think this is going to be a makeup judgment for Charlo, so that's how I see this one playing out. All right, that concludes today's Drink of Wisdom. I'm Cody Ward. I'm Jay Wise. And I'm Nathan Drinker, and remember, make tomorrow better than today, make today better than yesterday, and we're going to holler at you until next time. Oh, you know, man, oh, you know, man, oh, you know, man.